0: This spring, state lawmakers unanimously backed legislation to ensure the future financial feasibility of school-based health centers, which have seen their funding cut by nearly a third in the last 15 years. For more on the issue, including what school-based health centers actually do, we're joined in the studio by Sarah Murphy, Executive Director for the New York School-Based Health Alliance. Welcome to the Capital Press from Sarah.
1: Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's
0: our pleasure. So for starters, what constitutes a school-based health center, and how prevalent are they across New York?
1: So it is actually a relatively new model of care. A school-based health center in New York State, and it could be slightly different per state, but in New York State, a school-based health center is an Article 28 extension clinic of an already existing sponsoring organization like a hospital or a health clinic, mm-hmm. a federally qualified health clinic. And what they do is, is they it's basically like a, a community clinic, but it's on school grounds. So if a child needs assistance beyond what's um, minor care, Band-Aids, uh, temperature taking, for instance, if we have children who have asthma, diabetes, chronic conditions, um, in need of vaccinations, you can actually walk down the hallway in your school and enter your school-based health center and get clinic-level care.
0: And what traditionally prompts a community to decide... We need a facility like this. Are there certain conditions in a school district, in in a region, uh, access to medical services that might prompt this? What's the calculation?
1: That's exactly it. It's the lack of access. Generally speaking, we get reached out to by either parents or more likely schools themselves and say, hey, we know we have um, a groundswell of children who we don't believe are getting any access to care, or we don't see them receiving health care. We're not aware of them getting health care. And we would like to talk to you about the possibility of putting in a school-based health center. So the first thing we do is is we go to the community that's there and see who's offering health care already. Is there a hospital system? Is there a network of care that's there? And then um, their approach to see if they have an interest in opening a clinic in the school. So it's a combination of a need that's in the community and a desire by the school district themselves to say, yeah, we see the need for this care. And so when that can happen, we um, set out a plan to have the two parties reach out to the Department of Health and begin the process of opening a satellite clinic.
0: Are there commonalities that you see in terms of where these facilities are, are popping up? Are they, for the most part, in rural communities? Are they in, in urban communities? Or, or can it span the gamut?
1: It's all of it. And it's what it is. is, is The thread is poor underserved, typically very high poverty levels, typically um, a lot of inequity, often high levels of immigrants. These are the the communities where we see need. And so that's where school-based health centers tend to pop up. And it can be rural, urban, and even a bit suburban. We have some right here in Albany. And
0: traditionally, where has funding for school-based health centers come from?
1: Oh, that's the million-dollar question. So it's a combination of a grant that comes through the Department of Health. It is also funding that comes through the federal government that also comes through the Department of Health, through the state. And then beyond that, it's really sort of a puzzle piecing of funding that you can get from your community, from grants, even from legislators themselves, who will kind of piece together uh, some money to at least begin the operations. And then the sponsor really kind of takes up a lot of the rest of the cost.
0: How, if at all, are people who are receiving these services expected to pay? Are they putting up insurance claims for some of this stuff? Are the people they're treating don't have insurance or have Medicaid, which might not have the best reimbursement rates? What responsibility is there on the patient themselves to pay for these services?
1: So we serve all children regardless of the ability to pay. If you walk in the doors, we provide a point of access to about a quarter of a million kids right now in New York State. Uh, When a child walks through the door, uh, that child receives services. If the child's parents have insurance, we do bill against it if we can. Um, If the child does have Medicaid, that's usually the biggest payer for us. Medicaid is an important piece of the school-based health reimbursement strategy. Um, And if they don't have Medicaid, then we actually help to sign them up for Medicaid. So we're a point of of Medicaid care that way, too.
0: A traditional concern about Medicaid is the rates uh, that uh, the state ponies up for uh, reimbursing providers for the services uh, that they're actually delivering. Are you finding that uh, the providers are not being fully reimbursed for the scope of the services that they provide to patients with Medicaid?
1: Yeah, we do have some issues. I mean, obviously, we'd always like to see the rates be increased, and we're happy to report that we did see that specific to school-based health. We did see a 10% increase in our Medicaid um, rates this year. It's a good start. Um, Certainly, we need to see higher rates of reimbursement, especially for things like oral health. That's just, that's very low. What we really need to see is um, the ability to bill appropriately for for Medicaid. And we do run into issues when we come into services such as mental health and reproductive health um, where there are issues with confidentiality. Sometimes the provider has to make a decision on whether or not they can send that information into, let's just say, a care plan just to make sure that the confidentiality is maintained. We do have... Um, agreements that confidentiality will be maintained for confidential services. We just, there's times where sometimes that doesn't work out well.
0: What changes to the funding model that you operate under now have been, I guess, essentially threatened by executives, regardless of who they might have been in the Capitol? I mean, have there been efforts to change the Medicaid structure that you operate under?
1: Well, that's actually the whole crux of the um, legislation that we have uh, right now. It's the idea that about 10 years ago, actually it's more like 12 years ago, there was the discussion of managed care for all. So Medicaid managed care became sort of the mantra in the state for health care. And we immediately saw that this would be an issue for school-based health centers. So we knew that we were going to start meetings with the Department of Health many years ago, and we did, to talk about how to overcome some of the issues that we might face And truthfully, 10 years in, we really have not resolved the majority of the issues that school-based health centers would have. And so we have consistently pushed back and um, requested that we not be carved into managed care. We'd like to stay out of managed care.
0: Well, yeah, what is it about managed care that is the boogeyman in terms (laughs) of uh, your future funding and your viability?
1: So under managed care, the school-based health center sponsors would need to go to each one of the managed care plans, uh, negotiate a contract specifically for school-based health, not the rest of the sponsoring organization's health care, but just specifically for school-based health. And they would have to do that with every managed care plan that they might encounter. Then they would have to also do that with all of the subplans, the mental health providers, the oral health providers. And then they would have to likely take on expensive IT and infrastructure changes to now accommodate this new plan where they would be paid directly by the managed care plans. Um, the issue that we have there uh, is not only is that costly, time-consuming, and no one wants to do it. I mean, nobody wants to redo their IT structure to accommodate a small piece of their health care. But on top of that, you know what we're seeing and what we had suspected might happen, uh, we're seeing in the behavioral health care carbon and in the home health care carbon is massive delays and reimbursement and denial rates. And right now, um, particularly with mental health care, that is the last thing we need to be doing. We need to not be shaking the ground, the foundation of, of mental health for adolescents. And we fear very strongly that's exactly what's going to happen. So it's probably important to point out here is that school-based health centers themselves are not big money generators. Um, what they really are is they're preventative care within these um, underserved communities. Um, And it keeps the cost down for asthma care and diabetes and things where uh, a bad situation could turn into um, an emergency room situation or even an oral health situation where preventative care would have stopped a child from having to go to the ER because they don't have other care available or because it's become so chronic and so critical. So when the sponsors take on um, offering a school-based health center, they do so at a cost. I mean, in a good year, a school-based health center will uh, break even, but in most years, they really kind of lose a little bit of money. So when you take the prospect of carving us into managed care, you add on the costly renegotiations, you add on the IT and infrastructure changes, and then you add on the fact that they already cost money, our biggest fear is that our sponsoring organizations will have to make a smart business decision, and close the school-based health center. Which means, you know, that is such an important access point of care for kids who will not otherwise get care. And that's our biggest concern, is is that if we get carved in, kids lose care. School-based health centers close. The end.
0: And so the legislation that was approved earlier this year, that would simply, what, preserve the status quo?
1: Exactly. That's exactly what we're asking for. We have always been carved out. We've always worked that way. We've been carved out since even the beginning of the conversations of managed care. And uh, that's how we work most effectively. And, you know, we've heard things such as, well, you know, you're going to be costing your sponsors their value-based payment relationships with the managed care plans, which is not true. School-based health centers sit outside of that. Sponsoring organizations can continue their value-based payment arrangements. Uh, we've heard that school-based health centers uh, require more assistance with care coordination, also not true. That's actually built into the model. School-based health centers have always functions as a partnership with any and all other providers of care. Um, We're happy to continue working with the Department of Health on any and all projects and programs and um, in any way that we can to make sure that we are seeing the best possible utilization of school-based health. Uh, We just see that this particular carve-in plan is uh, a bad one.
0: Well, assuming history plays out the same way it has in the recent past, which is the legislature authorizing something like this and then having the governor veto it, is there an expectation that, say, 2024 is the year that you finally are carved back in? Or do you think this is just going to continue to be like the sword of Damocles and just hanging over your head and you don't really know when the change might happen?
1: Uh, a little bit of each. I mean, our historically, that's what we've had is is the way that the um, veto language is has been written is is that school-based health centers will be carved in no sooner than. So there's always this out. Every year that we get a delay or a two-year delay, there's always an out. So even if we get a date, and it's usually April 1st of a, of a given year that we're going to be carved in, it just says no sooner than. So uh, that's what has been playing out for the last 10 years. But um, yeah, you know, there's always a fear that that the next year is going to be it. It's going to be the one where it's a do or die. And um, that's where we're hoping that the support of the legislature will also help us with this. This is our third year going through this and having the, this particular legislation passed by both the Assembly and the Senate.
0: Well, we've been talking just about preserving the status quo. What would be on your laundry list that uh, you'd like to see lawmakers do that might actually beef up and strengthen? Uh, these school-based health centers? Well,
1: I have to say, they've been extremely supportive. And one of the ways that they've shown this, aside from also passing our our, uh, legislation, is the fact that in 2017, we um, saw a massive cut we got a five million dollar cut out of our our budget, our state budget,
0: five million out of what for context um
1: it was twenty two okay, <laughs> yeah, so it was a very big cut um, and it was uh, it was a tough year, and we immediately went to the legislature who was able to in the following year and every year since provide us with seventy five percent of that cut back out of their own funding. So we've seen tremendous support by the legislature, not only in terms of our legislation. Um, And understanding who we are and what we do and who we serve, because they also understand this. They have these school-based health centers in their constituencies, but they've ponied up money to keep us afloat. Uh, What I'd like to see happen is not so much on the legislature side, because they already support us, and I'd like to continue that relationship. I would like to see the state give us back some of that money in new funding. Um, School-based health centers cost money to run. Um, the sponsoring organizations take a, a, a big portion of that in hand in order to continue to offer this care. And we save the state money. School-based health centers and the services we provide save the state money, so we would like to see a little more funding for that.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Sarah Murphy. She's the executive director for the New York School-Based Health Alliance. Sarah, thank you so much for making the time.
1: Thank you. Great to be here.
0: And for more Capital Press Room content, visit capitalpressroom.org or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And if you listen to us from an Apple device, make sure to leave us a rating and a review so it helps other people find the show.
1: Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.